to another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. We're bringing you some baseball history. That's right. We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be on the mound throwing them. That's right. It's and dangerous. Terrible, terrible analogy on our part. But <laughs> yeah. that's what's happening. We're too far in at this point. We're, too, we're not changing it. We're not. It's done. Like, that's it. That's how we start the show. Yeah. That's it. Uh, we have a guest with us today. Yes, that's right. Andrew Stoughton, welcome to the show. Yes. Uh, hey. I, I yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Oh, my goodness. We are so excited <laughs> to have you here. Uh, if, if you are unfamiliar with, with Andrew's work, uh, please uh, check him out. Read all of his stuff. Uh, he has an illustrious career, as we were talking about before we started uh, pro- uh, recording here. So, um, yeah, if you're a Blue Jays fan, for sure, uh, for sure, you probably know who who this is and and why we're so excited to have him on. So, thanks so much, Andrew. And uh, where can people find your work? Yeah, uh, again, thanks for having me. And um, it's it's just stoughton.substack.com or thebatflip.ca. Also redirects there. It's a little easier to remember and to spell than uh, than my last name. Uh, I'm not sure illustrious <laughs> is the is the word that is usually used for my career, but uh, but we'll go with that. I appreciate it. It's illustrious to us. It is. It yeah yeah. We are not the uh, the top shelf of society. So uh... <laughs> okay. Well now now we're starting. To, okay. Now, now we're starting to sound more like my career. Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> Uh, and, and and with that, uh, I, I think that's a that's a perfect. Before we do uh, everything, actually, Andrew, I'm sorry, I'm I'm interrupting you there. Uh, where where you you've already done the bad flip, fantastic. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, with that, we are gonna transition to our sponsor, which is Two Loons Brewing. Uh, we are two baseball history loons, and Two Loons Brewing is uh, a couple dudes bringing you some fantastic beer. Uh, they have their Two Loons IPA on the shelf at LCBO now, uh, and they're just hardworking, hardworking guys, right? Andrew, you, you're in the Peterborough area, right? I am. Yeah, so you do. It's working class, great town. Uh, it is actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And people enjoy a nice beer. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not used to people praising it, but yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. We love the Peterborough area. <laughs> yeah, two 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 uh, hardworking salt of the earth dudes. Uh, I met John Rosenberg uh, while we were uh, doing uh, wine delivery together, and and he had a dream of starting a brewery, and uh, that's come to fruition. So two loons, everybody, check it out uh, at your local LCBO. Uh, they got more stuff coming, but right now they got their IPA, and uh, beyond that, of course, be of legal drinking age and enjoy responsibly. Thank you. Of course. So very important. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, we uh, will start off by saying thank you for listening. Uh, please give us a review, however you're listening, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, wherever you're listening. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball, on Instagram at Doing Dot Baseball. Uh, we got TikTok at Doing Baseball. What's your Twitter? Uh, at Ed's Do Baseball. And I'm at Sean Do Baseball. Andrew, uh, I think you already said it, but where are you at on Twitter? Yeah, I'm at Andrew Stoughton, which that, that one you will have to learn how to spell my name. But uh, <laughs> Spell it out. It's S-T-O-E-T-E-N. There you go. There we go. Nice and yeah. quick. You can put that halftime and yeah. write it down. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
Andrew, Edzi, I'm so excited. Uh, it is February, so we are celebrating Black History Month. Uh, we have two months on this show where, where we have some guidelines, and that is October and February. So October is playoffs, February is Black History. And I am going to tell both of you uh, the story of arguably the greatest shortstop to ever play the game of baseball. All right, let's hear it. Well, I, I just want to start it off a little bit. Who would you throw out there? Both of you. I, I'm sorry to catch you off guard, Andrew, Edzie. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, given the given the guidelines, I'm going to guess like Orlando Hudson. <laughs> Orlando Hudson? I mean, he's more of a second baseman, but uh, but nonetheless, the, the greatest player. Big, big fan. Big fan. All right. Okay. And you said he Paul was J.P. Richardi, a pimp. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, love the O dog. Love the O dog. It's the greatest shortstop. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's a shortstop either. But. No. Okay. Yeah. But... <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I. I... I don't think this is the answer, but and I wasn't around at the time to see this guy, and I wouldn't even really necessarily say myself the greatest shortstop of all time is Ozzie Smith. But ooh, okay, you know, all right. I, I think maybe that could be someone you're alluding to, but I guess right. we'll find out. Well, I am not because I am here to tell you guys that the greatest shortstop of all times only played 450 game or 53 games in pro baseball. The reason. I say this is because I truly believe the best shortstop pre-integration was Dobie Moore, and if he had, if his career hadn't come to an abrupt halt, he would be as famous as Cool Papa, Satchel Paige, or Josh Gibson. Okay, he's got the name for it. Yeah, Dobie Moore. So he was not born Dobie Moore. He was born Walter Moore, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, February eighth, eighteen ninety-six, to Waddy Moore and Julie Drummond. Not much else is really known about his childhood other than he was the oldest of five siblings and played baseball, probably on the sandlots around Atlanta. We don't really know. Okay. Um, he did not receive a thorough education and was illiterate, but by 18, he was already making a name for himself on the baseball field, playing catcher for the Atlanta Stars Baseball Club. All right. He's playing, he's... playing catcher, playing catcher, converted mm -hmm. catcher. Yeah, wow. no, he moves around. He moves around. Okay. As as most guys, young young players, right? They're they're finding their position. Um, I mean, you, you you see it sometimes, but you know, generally, I mean, I suppose uh, the industry was not as uh, sophisticated back then. But the catcher to shortstop move is uh, <laughs> it's an uncommon one. It's an yeah. odd. Well, yeah. he, you'll you'll hear he makes a brief stop at third base. So okay. there, there's a transition. You Slow. see that a little more often. A little yeah, more yeah, often, sure. and you're gonna hear he's built like a catcher too. He's absolutely. Uh, kind of more wide than... A little more portly? Yeah, well, yeah, a little broader. A <laughs> little broader. Okay. Okay, all right. So Husky. We're being kind here, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay. Respect <laughs> you me, once yeah. described me as Husky. You, you're, you look great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So in 1915, at the age of 19, Moore would enlist in the U.S. Army, and this surprisingly, was the best decision a young ball player or the young ball player could have made for himself at the time. All right. Weird. I wonder why. So I'm curious why. He joins yeah. the Army. He's sent to Missouri. Uh, but after that, I'm not sure really if they discovered he was a good baseball player or it was just by happenstance that, that it happened. But he was sent to join the 25th Infantry on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. Huh. That's a be a nice spot to go and play. Yes. So uh, I have to say, uh, there's. I, I guess. Yeah, well, that would be beautiful. 
Well, and and also think about it here. So so this is something you know we're talking about Black History here, and we're about to talk about a black team, and so much of the at the time, right? We're 1915. Uh, black baseball was you know happening in front of people a lot more on the west coast and and uh you know uh, around like especially playing white competition and stuff like that like okay. in hawaii it was acceptable way more acceptable than it would be in right. atlanta right. or even new york at the time right, right. well even so, to throw back to like the previous episode it seemed like there was a, like you say a little bit more integration even in some of those western canadian leagues oh yeah they were yeah. mentioned you know? the further away you got from the south the 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 more uh exposure black baseball seemed to get okay. is basically what i'm trying to say so uh with that being said i i do owe a lot of this uh episode to adam dorowski uh he's uh i believe uh let's see i'm opening his twitter now he's the product uh director of product for sports reference so baseball reference and stuff and and he's in charge of of moore's saber uh, article, which is not posted yet, but he did give me a preview as well as doing some fantastic work uh, with the 25th Infantry team, which I'm about to talk about. So I just had to give that shout out right now to Adam because I pestered him on Twitter and he sent me <laughs> some great material. So thank you. Um, yeah. So um, now uh, we may very well do an episode on the 25th Infantry baseball team one day. Uh, but today's not that day. To sum it up, the 25th Infantry Regiment uh, was basically more of a prolonged spring training for a number of black baseball stars, as well as a deadly fighting force. Uh, I'm assuming the Army training kind of helped with baseball. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Also, the deadly fighting force stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. Probably. yeah. Army training must have helped with that a bit as well. Well, yeah, that's the... This would explain why a lot of guys in previous episodes would compare playing baseball to being in a war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once you, you get it in you. I mean, it's all it's, the same training. Yeah, well, well he's lucky because this baseball team is actually so famous that, you know, they, they, they don't have to serve in anything, any real capacity you know they don't chip overseas to to world war one once the u.s becomes involved in that okay. so sort of like the momford point yeah so they yeah they're they're an they're they're in the army and they could they're a combat unit but they're also a baseball team and that's what everybody knows them for um so the 25th was known as the finest service team in the country and consisted of not just moore but bullet joe rogan as well as 14 other players who would go on to play in the negro national league when it was formed in 1920 so just a stacked uh, team. I was gonna say, uh, Bullet Joe Rogan. Did you say? Yeah, Bullet. Are you allowed Joe? to say that on Spotify? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Apparently, this was the original, the original Bullet Joe. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. As we've mentioned before, Joe Rogan wishes his nickname was Bullet Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so, this team, as I kind of mentioned, they would play uh, all-white service teams as well as compete in the Honolulu League, which consisted of four teams, and oh my god, this is one all-Chinese, one all-Asian, which I guess Asian, not Chinese, and then one Portuguese, and then, of course, the all-black 25th Infantry team. So Fuck, just like a completely segregated league. <laughs> but everyone's playing each other. Yeah. And well, like it's, yeah. it's in segregated Honolulu. by team. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's really a weird way of laying it out. But that's how they did it. But they weren't like you know, it wasn't like a national team. You know what I mean? No, like well, they weren't playing under their national flag. No, they were just theory. Make it somewhat okay. Yeah, they were an army team, but 
this was their home league yeah. in Honolulu. If does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, yeah. All right. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's obviously insane. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the of the league, but yeah, just an insane way of splitting the yeah. teams up. But, yeah, the yeah. Portuguese. We play the Portuguese on Saturday, <laughs> yeah. and then you know, uh, it's absolutely yeah, it's it's baffling. But those were the, it's 1916. So Moore joined the team in 1916. He immediately impressed on the field. The dude was well built, as I was talking about. He's 5'11", a solid 200 plus pounds as well. So more like a catcher than an infielder. Yet he had very big yet soft hands and although he was not as agile as others he was really great at reading the ball and along with a strong arm that allowed more to make plays other people could just dream of from the left side of the infield so he would earn the nickname the black cat for his defense as well as now somehow i have no idea how he got it but his nickname of doby so he's doby more now okay that's it so um right on I have some quotes here. So a teammate uh, would later say, Doby may not have been as agile as some, but he had a rifle arm and made good plays. His thinking wasn't too good at times. It was the looker. See? <laughs> but as far as, fending, as, far as, <laughs> as far as fielding his position and throwing and hitting, you couldn't beat him. <laughs> so, All right. So right here, we're, uh, yeah. Moore's a great ball player, but he, uh, he likes to... Uh, He's got the Jim Leahy affliction. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit of Leahiness. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but he's all business for the most part. It sounds like he was drinking a lot before and after the games, but for the most part, he's all business on the field. Okay. Um, Doby Moore would play third base for the 25th Infantry Wreckers before eventually moving to shortstop. It is documented that he made a game-saving play at the hot corner against the Portland Beavers of the Pacific Coast League to preserve the Wreckers' 4-1 victory on March 17, 1917. Joe Taylor would say of his play with the Wreckers, he was a great hitter, base runner, and a sensa and sensational shortstop. I don't ever recall seeing Moore make an error. I never saw Honus Wagner play, but I don't think Wagner could have been any better than Moore. High praise. I was going to say. Very high that's praise. High, very high praise. I mean, the standard kind of impossible to measure. Just so I, I don't think it could, I couldn't have possibly, possibly been any better. Uh, <laughs> I don't see you know, that. that's, all, that's, all you, that's all you can do. That's yeah. all you can do at that point. Yeah. Source, trust me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've never seen Mike Trout play. <laughs> but Kevin Kiermaier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, the team would win the league in Hawaii. Both, both years Moore was on the team. And in 1918, the team was transferred to Arizona. Uh, they continued their dominance uh, as the team played all over the West. Uh, and that is where Casey Stangle came across Dobie Moore for this first time. So Casey Stangle is a person that shows up in a lot of our episodes. Yeah, he's, 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 he's in oddball history a lot. Oh, and I get to do a Casey Stangle voice here in a second. It's going to be great. Ooh, nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Hopefully it's like your Ty Cobb. <laughs> it's probably the exact same. <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, say. Uh, so Stangle's, uh, Stangle's team, which was a, just a, a traveling barnstorming team in the offseason, they ended up beating the 25th. Uh, but Moore made a really strong impression on him. And uh, along with the fact that, that Moore, or sorry, Stangle only beat the 25th by cheating. So... Uh, <laughs> So this is from John B. Holloway's Sabre Research Journal. So I'm just going to quote this directly from there. This is what Stangle had to say. All right. I first saw Moore down in Albuquerque. 
Casey, uh, Casey, he was recalling this a century later. We were down near the Mexican border, and the army brought these buglers and made all the soldiers line up and march across the ball field to pick up pebbles and rocks so we could play. So it's just a dirt field they're playing on, and they get the army to pick it up. Uh, uh, pick stones before the game starts. We had a big guy who pitched for St. Paul in the American Association who cheated. So before the game, I went out behind home plate, and I announced... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, there were no ladies there. Ladies and gentlemen, now we're in, <laughs> we're now having a young man that pitches this game today that throws that new mysterious ball known as the tequila pitch. It's taken from the tequila plant, and he was spitting all over the mound and everything, you know, cheating. So we won the game. I have no idea what <laughs> any of that means. I guess he was... <laughs> I guess he was saying that this the guy... The tequila pit? Like he got too wasted on tequila and he had no control? And is that what you're saying? I had to read this quote so many times. I would like verify. to hear it again maybe uh, later. But the Mysterious ball known as the tequila pitch. Take it, it's taken from the tequila plant. And then he says... So he's basically saying, oh, this guy's going to throw some weird spitballs, but it's really called the tequila pitch. That's basically what he was doing. Okay. He was making... Yeah. He knew he was going to cheat. And he was making a big uh, show of it to pretend like it was a new pitch instead of cheating. Ah, uh, okay. I follow like you. Ha it just sounds like a wet dude to me, really. No, oh, yeah. One of the, you know, the, 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 the early version of <laughs> wet dudes that are just all over the league now. Absolutely. Um, what happened next uh, is unconfirmed, but there's probably some truth to the legend. When Stangle returned home to Kansas City, he contacted J.L. Wilkinson, a man we talked about in the Hank Thompson episode. Uh, Wilkinson was a rich white man looking for black ball players for the 1920 season, and Stangle excitedly told Wilkinson where he could find them. So, Wilkinson got re busy recruiting his team for Rube Foster's inaugural 1920 Negro National League season. Wilkinson would sign five players from the records, uh, Wreckers, sorry, including Dobby Moore, Bullet Joe Rogan, Oscar Heavy Johnson, Lem Lemuel Hawkins, and Bob Fagan, along with a number of other Latin players and the best players from Wilkinson's all-nations barnstorming team, they formed a little team known as the Kansas City Monarchs. All so, right. some baseball history all there. Right. Um... So the, staple in baseball, baseball history. Absolutely. So this is the first year, 1920, when the Monarchs uh, play, and they're one of eight teams competing in the very first ever organized black major league. So huge mm -hmm. moment. Um, but here's the problem. He's in the Army. He doesn't just play for this team. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, could be an issue, yeah. Yeah. Fighting so, and stuff to do. Yeah. So he, they, they have to, there's a, there's a time period for a lot of these guys need to get out of the army. And, and legend has it that, that Wilkinson paid a fine of $150 for, for their release uh, individually. So, so a lot of money at the time for, for five or six guys. Um, but regardless, in July, so a few months after the season started, Dobie Moore was in the major leagues. Okay, so he got out. Yeah. So him along with Rogan, their first game was July 3rd, 1920. Uh, well into the season, but 48... Oh, sorry. But in 48 games, Moore, who was 24 at the time, established himself on the infield and at the plate. He had 332 in just over 200 appearances, and the Monarchs would finish second place in the league with a respectable 44-33-2 record. So, not a bad first season, but they played half the year with 
not all their players. Um, So after that, Moore headed out to the California, uh, to California, along with several other Monarch players to compete in the California winter league on the Los Angeles white Sox. The players had been recruited by doc Anderson and Joe Perone, uh, to play on an all-black team, the only one in the league. So once again, this is out in California, mm-hmm. and they got, you know, it's not black and white players playing on the same team together, but at least there's a black team in, yeah, in this in the, league. It's in the league. Right, so they're yeah. competing against white, and in some cases, white major leaguers that are, that are out there to do the same thing that they're doing, is play some winter ball. Right. Um, Moore and his fellow players got to play against all white players for the first time, uh, and Moore, or not for the first time, but uh, the Monarchs did for the first time. Moore and his fellow Monarchs made easy work of his the white competition under the California sun, and Moore hit 331 and legged the league in hits. His White Sox would win the league, and many of the players, in, including Moore, would return the next year. So they just, this LA White Sox team was dominant, and they just kicked the crap out of their competition. Right multiple years uh 1921 the monarchs would once again finish second in the nnl uh moore would play in 64 games while recording 79 hits including 36 extra base hits with that his slugging jumped over 100 points to 566 and for five of the next six years he would continue to slug well over 500 all right using that weight that's pretty pretty good yeah yeah, yeah, not just a club first guy here. Yeah, using that weight. Yeah, yeah. throwing that that yeah. huskiness around. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I mean. He's a shortstop that can hit for power in the 1920s. You know. Yeah. Not something that would happen for a very long time. You know, you get your a little bit mixed yeah. in, but shortstop would not be known as a heavy hitting position for a while. Um, so in 1922, uh, the Monarchs were a juggernaut, finally getting over the hump to finish atop the league. Moore hit a ridiculous 386, which amazingly was second on the team to Oscar Heavy Johnson's 406. Uh, yeah. The year before, the Monarchs had challenged the Kansas City Blues of the American Association to see who was the best team in Kansas City. And in 1921, the Monarchs had lost the series 5-3. to But in 1922, the Monarchs absolutely steamrolled their Caucasian opponents, taking five out of six games. Moore continued to hit well uh, against the best of the best, including going two for four with a triple against Babe Ruth's barnstorming all-stars as the Monarchs stomped them ten to five. So, what I'm trying... beating the best of the best, is what you're saying. Moore is hitting the best of the best. And I think Andrew kind of mentioned... Earlier, it's it's hard in integrated baseball or non-integrated baseball to to really compare people to each other. But I just say any opponent he he comes across, he he does absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Um, 1923 was Moore's most recorded games at 94. He hit he hit uh, 386, collecting an amazing 138 hits in 94 games, and the Monarchs won the league. Uh, with a record of 54 and 32, which is weird because I just said he played in 86 games uh, or 94 games, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's baseball in the 1920s yeah. for you. That's a <laughs> questionable record keeping at this time. Yeah. I was reading this before this, and I'm like, I'm just keeping it in. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's silly. <laughs> um, So that winter, instead of heading west to California, Moore, along with some fellow monarchs, were recruited by Emilio de Armas 
and Abel Linares, owners of the Santa Clara Leopards in the Cuban Winter League. Uh, with the might of the Monarch Stars, the Leopards dominated the league and would go down as one of the best teams in Cuban winter ball history. Uh, they went 36-11-1, easily winning the league by 11 and a half games. And Dobie Moore contributed big time, once again hitting 386 and slugging over 500. Fucking consistent, man. Yeah, yeah. Like the Chris very, very. Davis. Of... Which oh, <laughs> I'm like, which Chris Davis? You're talking about the Oakland Chris Davis, yeah, the one that, who was consistent wait, wait, he, for, so, yeah. didn't he hit like 247 for three years in a row or yeah. something like that? Yeah, this is something a, like that. Yeah. yeah, this is a much it's, more. It's yeah, it's a much lower <laughs> average, but, but but I'm talking consistency. Yeah. Not not okay. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, so yeah, once again led the league in hits. Uh, Moore hung around and played in another 25 games after that season ended, but he went back to Kansas City for the 1924 season, ready to dominate the NNL. In 75 games that year, he led the league in hits and total bases. Uh, the Monarchs, just like Dobie, destroyed their competition and won the pennant with a 57 and 22 record. So just stomped the crap out of the league that year. Um, 1924, for the first time, though, we uh, have a World Series. Okay. So, uh, Negro the Negro League World Series, uh, the first one to take place, uh, would take uh, the Monarchs would face off against the Hillsdale Daisies of the Eastern Colored League in a best-of-nine series to determine the king of black professional baseball. Love the name. <laughs> Hillsdale Daisies? Yeah, love it. Love it? Yeah. Um, so well, it's bold. It's it, it's bold for the twenties, I think. I don't I, you know. <laughs> Better than pansies. Yeah. Well, I mean any kind I mean of... that's where that's where the mind goes, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. they What do you got against probably, pansies? Probably probably suited well, up. I just it's generally derogatory. <laughs> yeah. We're the daisies. I guess daisies was too, but the sunflowers, the yeah. the posies. Right. Uh, well, yeah. uh, this is why they switched to bird names. <laughs> okay. Slightly tougher. Yeah, there's not a lot of flower names for for, for teams for out there. The thorns. Teams. Yeah, the thorns. We'll do that anyways. Right, carry on. Uh, the series uh, was held in four different cities, which was strange: uh, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Chicago. With Hillsdale uh, not able to host a game because their ballpark was too small. This, right. this is a big deal. So mm -hmm. they're taking this around. It's a nine-game series. They're, they're taking it all over, and it's taking place in October. So it first started October 3rd, 1924. Uh, it would be a back-and-forth affair uh, with the two teams splitting the first two games. And in Game 3, the Monarchs and Daisies battled deep into extra innings with the Monarchs and Moore's defense failing to put away the pesky Hillsdale squad twice. So there's, he makes some errors in this series. He's human. He's actually human for okay. the first time. Um, the game would have to be called a tie. Uh, so it sounded like the Monarchs... To make, to make an omelet, you got to crack a few eggs, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it sounded like the Monarchs kept pulling away in, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in, the, in the top half of the inning, and then they'd make an error, and, and nah. the daisies would tie them and just keep going until it got too dark to play. Um, so yeah, cracking a few eggs here. Uh, the Monarchs would go down by two games before storming back to win it all. So it's the first ever uh, Black World Series. And although Moore would make five errors in the series, uh, the Monarchs double play combo up the middle of Moore and Newt Allen were a solid pair. 
and may have saved the series for Kansas, as Monarchs catcher Frank Duncan explained. In the World Series against Philadelphia in 1924, we made six double plays in one game. Two of them came in the eighth and ninth innings. The last one ended the ball game, and that would have been the winning run crossing the plate. Or the tying run, sorry. Or I guess winning run, too. I don't know. That doesn't quite make sense. How do you win the game if... Anyways. Uh, <laughs> good old Frank Duncan. Yeah. Uh, but he was the Monarchs catcher at the time, and, and that's what he said. He said, oh, yeah, he made some errors, but holy shit, that double play combo was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um so Moore also helped his team uh, in a more unorthodox way, with Hillsdale's shortstop Jake Stevens claiming Moore would grab the belt of a runner rounding second. <laughs> oh, a little crafty trick there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that little half stride that, you know, he mm -hmm. wouldn't like yank him down, but he'd just... No, he'd just hold you up a bit. Yeah, exactly. Just, just a little baseball. Like a hockey guy cutting the palm out of his glove, you know? What? <laughs> I'm not a hockey guy. I'm not okay. a hockey guy. Yeah, what sorry, you do sorry, is you cut the palm out of your glove okay. so you can grab a guy's jersey, oh. but it looks like you're just resting your glove oh. on his shoulder. You know oh, what I mean? okay. I got you. I got you. I used to do that. Okay. <laughs> Dirty heads. Um, so so he, uh, he's cheating a little bit himself. Uh, that's, that's what, uh, that's what yeah. what's his name liked about him. Yeah. Stangle. Stangle. Yeah. like, I, I got cheated. You should sign him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Monarchs prevailed uh, in a hard-fought series and took it 5-4-1, to one, uh, with Moore snatching a Texas League pop-up for the final out of the final game and gave the Monarchs the first official world championship of black baseball. Moore hit 300 in 10 games, uh, but his slugging basically disappeared. He failed to get an extra base hit, but still, who gives a shit? You just won the championship. I'm not going to nitpick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Moore returned to California, dominated the Winter League. Uh, we're getting to the juicy stuff here real soon. And leading <laughs> the league uh, in just about every uh, Im imaginable offensive category. And in 1925, Moore returned to help the Monarchs defend their crown, and Moore had no way of knowing that this would be his last full season in baseball. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, juicy. Juicy. Hashtag wet. <laughs> First time. <laughs> I enjoy that. Yeah. We're going to throw that on the, the, the preview tweet for this episode. Hashtag wet. We get hashtag wet with Andrew Stoughton. <laughs> So that's yeah, that's gonna really bring in the bring oh, in the, yeah. the oh, listeners. Pe people will be clamoring for it. <laughs> <laughs> so at 29, right? He's only 29. Moore continued putting up really great numbers. Uh, his stats did take a dip in the 1925 season, but for Dobie Moore, that meant hitting 312 in 342 plate appearances and still setting a career high with 12 triples, which, uh, Andrew, I'm sure you can confirm is more triples than the Blue Jays have probably had in the last, like, five years. I would, I, I would say that's, that's correct. I mean, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. We, this is this in the era where, like, the ball, the ball just rolls into the creek and you get a triple? Like, uh, it's, it's uh, like 490 uh, feet to center field. Yeah, center, yeah, the outfields <laughs> are 35-acre farms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a chicken coop in left. Yeah, Fanny Chi-Chi lives there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback. Yeah. Uh, so, um, the Monarchs would win the uh, NNL again, but this time they would get spanked by Hillsdale in five games. So, yeah, they just... It's oh, coming so, up daisies. I guess it was six games. They got spanked five games to one. But anyways, they, they got shit kicked in the World Series. But Moore did his part. 
he hit 364 at the plate with an OPS over 1,000. So good for him. Well done. Good for him. At age 30, uh, Moore's career seemed destined to be one of the best of all times, and he started off the 1926 season on absolute fucking fire. I guess hoping his paltry 312 batting average was just an aberration, Mm. right? Just a little blip. Yeah, you you can't be seen batting 312. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, so, so he hit over 400 <laughs> in the first 17 games, and he was getting on base at a clip of 500. So every uh, other at bat. It's not too bad. Not too bad. But that, my friends, would be the end for Dobie Moore. Uh, that evening, uh, I believe I have the date somewhere in here. We'll get to it. Uh, that evening, the Monarchs held a big party for their players and their wives. But Moore did not attend. Moore was married. I should preface that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was described as not really a mixer in the clubhouse. But he wasn't afraid to voice his opinions. And apparently that rubbed some of his teammates the wrong way. So. I mean, that kind of makes sense, I guess. I guess it it's does. like not really anybody's friend. He's just outspokenly, you know. Well, he's Sounds critical. like a bit of a contrarian, yeah. Yeah, he's not very friendly. He's pretty business. He... Drunk sometimes. <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's, he's, you know, but this is a great name. So Carol Dink Mathel uh, said, some fellows on the team didn't care too much for him. He was outspoken. If you were doing something he didn't like, he'd tell you about it. If you resented it, he didn't stop at that. He'd keep telling you your faults. The way he talked to you, a person might resent it. <laughs> All right. So he's critical. He's critical. He's, he's very much... in. A, a critical teammate uh, rubs people the wrong way. But let me tell you, Walter, otherwise known as Dobie Moore, had some very big faults of his own. So, his amazing career would end the night of May 18th, 1926. By the next morning, Moore would be in hospital with gunshot wounds and a broken leg so bad he would never play the game of baseball the same again. Jeez. Sounds intense. It does. And it is. Kind of. Depends who you ask. If you ask Dobie Moore, he's like, no. It's just- I'm fine. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Misunderstanding. Start telling you about your own, your own faults. Yeah. 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 Just a scratch. <laughs> just a scratch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what happened that night is a bit of a mystery. So this is what I was mainly pestering uh, uh, Adam about uh, a lot, trying to find out as much details as possible, because we really don't know what happened that night. So we know for sure Moore went to the house of one Elsie Brown, a reported girlfriend of his. And remember, he's he's married. He's so married. Yeah. Not 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 great. Not great a for mistress him. Mistress of his. Yes. Now, also depending on the source, because there's a number of different sources with different details on this, the most audacious story, uh, and we're going to cover all the stories, but the most audacious story is that Elsie Brown's house was no ordinary house, but in fact a brothel. And inside... <laughs> Maybe many girlfriends at Elsie's house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, but there's... A, I, I was talking to a number of people about this. Uh, most of the newspaper reports just refer to her house as, as a house. Nobody really... What's wrong with the house? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Leave the house alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> anyways, it might have been a brothel. It might not. But Elsie was the one that apparently he was there to see. And inside... Uh, an argument ensued that turned violent. 
Brown pulled her pistol and shot Moore, who desperately made an attempt to flee out of a second-story window, but fell, shattering his leg in six places. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Gruesome. So he takes a gunshot and jumps out a window to safety, but in which just destroys one of his legs. I, I didn't verify if it was left or right. Um, I don't think it matters. No, I don't think it matters. Uh, the story varies slightly depending on what you read, with some claiming it was a terrace, not a window. <laughs> I don't know why I included that. This changes everything. Yeah. <laughs> this changes absolutely everything. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so some... Big fire escapes trying to keep this story down. Yeah. <laughs> so, some say he was shot once, others say he was shot multiple times. Uh, some say he was also shot in the leg, uh, and, you know, some stories include the fall, some stories don't. Uh, you know, whatever. Either way, he got shot. And his legs fucked. And he's on the sidewalk. Yeah. Okay. Six six places is a lot of places to break one's leg. Yeah, you have to have fallen. Maybe he got shot in the leg and <laughs> fell on the same leg. Fell <laughs> <laughs> well, on his keys. Shot and rock several and times. And, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. But this is what I was talking about before. Moore's story to police and the press was so much more innocent than that audacious tale we just spoke of. Um, well, in the shower. <laughs> no. So he, he claimed he just headed over to the house looking for a friend of his. Oh, wow. And after knocking at both doors, decided to peek through a window. And I guess it was a second story window, <laughs> which is weird. Or terrace. Um, but... <laughs> At which point he was mistaken for a prowler and shot. All right. So, little more innocent, little more less domestic abuse leading to uh, that, and a little more like, oh, I was just there to see a friend, and then I got shot accident. It's cool though. I'm alive. I was looking through the I mean, second I, story window. <laughs> after all that, to, to come up with that story after you know. <laughs> after the ordeal he's been through, whatever it was, yeah, uh, pretty sharp, yeah. really. Yeah, pretty I mean, sharp to come up with that story when you're in shock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> been at the been drying out at the hospital for a few days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so what really happened, we uh, may never know, as we have learned. Believing a woman probably leads you closer to the truth than anything the man in the situation has to say. So, sorry fellas, but uh, we're going to believe her tale here. So Brown would tell prosecutors saying her and Moore had a quarrel and that he struck her three times. Brown was able to get Moore out the door, but when he picked up something and threw it, she fired her pistol. When this version of events hit the press, Moore laughed it off in an extremely problematic and strange manner. And I quote, Someone told her that if she said I hit her, she would get off. She does not have to say that. I have told the truth, and I have no intention of prosecuting her. Why, man, if I had hit her, she'd never be able to raise a pistol. Oh, man. So weird okay. flex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a fucked up thing to say. All the, all the other ladies I've hit before, they were really fucked up. Yeah, yeah they weren't able to raise not, a gun not, for days. Yeah. Not sure That's about how that you know movie. I'm yeah. innocent. That's yeah. Cool, yeah. Yeah, so Moore, uh, once again, was married. So his version was probably his best way of trying to conceal his adultery. And regardless what happened, Moore's career was in peril. 
and Brown was public enemy number one for Kansas City Monarch fans. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, just not great. No. So she would be forced to move away from Kansas City, fearing for her safety. Holy fuck. That's yeah. extreme. Jesus. Yeah, and honestly, I, I mean, I think it was mostly fans that were mad that their star shortstop was, was you know, laid up in a hospital bed. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if her version of story, like, maybe she was scared of Moore as well. There's a chance of that. Yeah. Uh, there's a big chance of that. Sounds like. Yeah, so she was. good reason. Yeah, like, he might have been very nice in the press about not pressing charges, but threatening her, uh. Or getting people. Anyways, I'm not going to allude to anything we don't know happened, but yeah. she had to move out of Kansas City after this because she was like, fuck this. I'm going to get killed. I'm out of here. Um, that sucks. That sucks. So on June 2nd, Moore underwent surgery to fix his shattered leg, uh, but he was told his career was more than likely over. Moore held out hopes of a miraculous comeback, but was not. that was not in the cards for a 31-year-old. Or for the 31-year-old. Unfortunately, uh, it was all more... Was, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was, just, I was gonna say, I mean, wow, they're really, they're really early adopters of, like, the aging curve. <laughs> yes. Well, Andrew, if you, if you dig deep enough into our, our, our uh, episodes, you'll find there used to actually be an age out for umpires, which uh, I think many of us today might uh, agree with. Uh, you know, I mean, once those robots, once those robots get to a certain point, their circuits don't uh, <laughs> yeah, the same anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, it was all over for Dobie Moore. Uh, he claimed he was healing, but you know, he's never he never came back. So Moore, uh, a few years later, or depends on the, some accounts say he moved that year. Others a few years later, it doesn't matter. Balcony, window, porch, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so he moves to Detroit and. Guys, I don't know if you uh, could guess this. Uh, his his wife doesn't come with him. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. I wasn't going to guess that though. <laughs> <laughs> so she might have had a hard time believing his uh, side of the the story as well. Right. Um, so I have a really weird quote uh, from J. L. Wilkinson, uh, who lamented the loss of Moore on the ball fields and what could have been. And he quotes: "Moore was in his prime. Dad always said he would have been one of the greats." <laughs> his dad I don't know who dad is yeah. <laughs> I didn't uh, look into it the ghost of my dad is a huge baseball fan <laughs> I think the Wilkinson is a pretty old man wasn't he yeah I mean dad could have been a nickname for the, the manager or something he probably was I don't know <laughs> um, so he is rumored to play as a stiff-legged first baseman for a semi-pro team in Detroit but other than that Dobie Moore fell off the baseball map he attended the funeral for a former player, George Tank Carr, in January 1948, before Moore himself died in August of that year at the age of just 51. Um, yeah, I started this by talking about how Moore was the best shortstop, probably pre-integration, but I kind of changed it last minute to just say overall. And, you know, I'm going to just throw this out there, and I know... Uh, war is not the, the be-all and end-all of stats, especially the, the baseball reference war I'm referring to today. But if you do a 162-game average war for shortstops, Dobie Moore, to this day, is number one with a 8.8 .8 baseball reference war average over 162 games. Wow. 
Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, he's a guy kind of sucks, uh, I would say. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. does. But, yeah, no, um, yeah. There's very few good people on this podcast, Andrew. <laughs> I, yeah. I, that, this, yeah, this does not. The colorful stories do sort of require, uh, <laughs> not, yeah, yes. that kind of stuff. Yeah. A um, certain level of shittiness. You yeah. know, but he also, I mean, to to be the to be like the the, the analyst of it a bit. You know, he he missed his whole decline phase, right? That would have brought that total down. That would have brought <laughs> really, that. That's uh, true. But here, here, I, I I immediately have a rebuttal for you in the fact that more averaged. Uh, Moore's average war was better than Honus Wagner's 7.1, and Wagner had some of his best years of his career between the age of 31 to 35, while Dobie Moore's career barely ended barely a month into his age 30 season. So the, you're right, totally. Um, to give you an idea of, of how he was doing in his age 30 season, uh, 1.3 baseball reference war in 17 games. Wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, seriously, he kept like alluding to his slugging numbers just being off the charts. So yeah, yeah. He, he didn't hit too many home runs because I think it was just the time we kind of talked about that with the yeah he hit know. triples into the thirty five acres of the outfield exactly exactly. <laughs> so I mean we can parse this out and whatever forever whether Wagner or Moore was the best shortstop pre integration. But I mean, just looking at those numbers, I, 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 I'm willing to, I'm willing to put him up there with the greatest of all times. Uh, oh, certainly, what you've presented shows that he definitely deserves to at least be mentioned in a discussion. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and and the fact that that he spent until the age of 24 playing with the army, and there really wasn't a a, 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 a organized black baseball league before the 1920 season, you know, that didn't help either. You could, anyway, so that, that's my argument. I love Dobie Moore. (laughs) Actually, I shouldn't say I love Dobie Moore. I just outlined how much of an asshole he is. I love the baseball (laughs) player, Dobie Moore, for discussing greatest of all time. And, and honestly, I was, I was surprised. Uh, Yeah, I, it was an absolute wild, uh, you know, I, I knew his playing days ended because he fell out a window, and broke his leg, but then the whole <laughs> domestic violence, getting shot, all running someone out of town—it it was pretty—it was pretty wild. So I will he say he was a piece of shit. <laughs> he, was, he drank a lot, and yeah. you know, as most people live for New Year's Eve. But he was a trailblazer as well, and 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 should Sloppy. be. He should be selling sloppy steaks. Sloppy steaks. Don't be no he more sloppy stop steaks. You from ordering a steak and a glass of water. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, we're not gonna quote yeah. that show for the rest of the oh, <laughs> We got Simpsons in there. We yeah. we work everything in. Yeah. Um. So he was uh uh one of the players uh, on the uh, 2006 Hall of Fame special election list. Uh, but he failed to receive enough votes to get into Cooperstown. So okay, yeah, I I'm, will say I'm, I'm not losing any okay. sleep over that. Yeah, well, whatever. No, but, me either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he's a, I would say for 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 unknown baseball stars, I, I'm putting him up there as 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 one of the best I've ever read about. So as much as every single person on here is is. An asshole, piece of shit, slimy. Well, not everybody, not but everybody. you know, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, but there's a but. That's what this podcast is about. I think yeah. someone tweeted the other day, "Who's the biggest asshole in baseball history?" And I was like, "We have a whole podcast." Lenny about Dykstra. That. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, and then on the other end of that, it's Lenny Randall. 
Yeah. <laughs> I hey, guess. He did yeah. beat up his coach. Anyways, Andrew, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I hope you enjoyed that, that story from baseball history. I definitely didn't know it. I was happy to uh, happy to join. Crack some wise uh, until it got a little too dark. Yeah. <laughs> it always does. It always it's usually does. Usually the way it goes. A lot of our some of our friends say they like yeah. to go and hug their family after they're done listening to our show. Yeah. Well, either way, join us next time as we highlight a great baseball person, but generally terrible people. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, uh, Andrew. <laughs> Tell, tell tell our audience where they can find you once again. And, and if you're a Blue Jays fan, you definitely should uh, be following uh, Andrew Stoughton. If you're not a Blue Jays fan uh, and just a baseball fan, you should Andrew still Stoughton. be following Andrew Stoughton. Uh, he's got a Patreon. He's got Twitter. He's wow. got a Substack. Uh, please let them know where they can find you. Yeah, it, it's just the, stub, the Substack now. Uh, that's, that's where, you know, you can read all the stuff that I write, minus the Twitter stuff, which, you know, <laughs> goes beyond baseball sometimes, uh, as you perhaps suggest. Uh, but the Twitter's at Andrew Stoughton, and uh, the Substack, you can just find it at thebathflip.ca. Amazing. Thanks so much, Andrew, once again. Yeah, so... Absolutely. Uh, I need to time, man. Oh, great, great. And, uh, yeah, Peterborough, what a city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kawartha, Kawartha Gem, Kawartha, the The second best George Street in Canada. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. I mean, Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we we've been talking generally not where I hang out in Peterborough, but okay. Sure. okay, okay sure. Now, now that once I got rid of Mister Arcade, I mean, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Well, th- thank you so much. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. I'm at Sean Do Baseball. And I'm at Ed's Do Baseball. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, let us know if you have any story ideas, whatever. Uh, let us know. Share with your friends. Share with your grandparents. Share with your dogs. Uh, of course, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we were doing some baseball. Thanks so much, Andrew. Anytime, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.